Welcome to One Move at a Time, the U.S. chess podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area one move at a time. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which include cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, in which Chess Life editor John Hartman goes more in-depth with each month's cover story, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Karyanis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org, or by subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now, let's welcome our guest to this month's podcast. Welcome to the May edition of One Move at a Time. Our guest today is Grandmaster John Fedorovich. I'm going to introduce him by reading from his 2009 U.S. Chess Hall of Fame induction plaque. Inspired to begin playing chess by the Fischer-Spassky World Championship match in 1972, the Fed won the National High School Championship in 1975, tied for the U.S. Junior Championship in 1977, and won the competition outright in 1978. Both before and after attaining the GM title in 1986, Fedorovich was considered a force in American chess, taking the U.S. Open in 1980, the New York Open in 1989, the National Open in 1992, and qualifying for the U.S. Championship numerous times. He is also the winner of five World Open titles and has many international victories to his credit, including Cannes and Sesamembra in 1987 and Vikanzi in 1990. Fedorovich twice represented the U.S. in the World Chess Olympiad and captained both men's and women's Olympiad teams. He also has authored authored numerous chess articles and two books, The Complete Benko Gambit in 1990 and The English Attack, with Nick DeFermian in 2004. A lifelong New Yorker, Fedorovich spends much of his time teaching and participating in the city's chess community and has frequently served as a second and advisor to U.S. champion Gada Kamsky. Hoff, welcome to the One Move at a Time podcast. Hi, Dan. Uh, great to be here, and uh, thanks for having me. And I, I should correct one thing, just to be fair. I, in 78, U.S. Junior, I, I didn't win a clear. I tied with Yasser, Sarah Wan, and Paul Whitehead. Okay, no slight meant to our friends Yasser and Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just wanted to make sure I didn't want any getting. I didn't want you to get any letters, you know? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so let's start with, why did I call you Hoff? Tell our listeners who may not be familiar with that moniker. Oh, it's funny. Yeah, I, I, I was watching a. Uh, I'm a big baseball fan, and there was uh, Goose Gossage, uh, a relief pitcher for the Yankees, made the Hall of Fame, and then he said he started signing his autographs. H O F, Goose Gossage. So I, 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 you know, started calling myself H O M H O F G M Johnny just to be funny. So uh, yeah, so you know, that's 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 where I got it from. You know. Um, Hall of Fame, although I had one ex-girlfriend that thought it had had something to do with beer. (laughs) Um, And while you say you started it just kind of be funny, and it certainly fits with your sense of humor, but there must be a sense of pride of being in the Hall of Fame. Is this one of, do you consider this one of your top achievements? Uh, Absolutely, absolutely, Dan. I I was, uh, 
I was, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of a big deal to get in the Hall of Fame, you know, in any game or sport, and uh, and and to to get in there, especially with my friends GM Joel, GMs Joel Benjamin, Larry Christensen, and uh, and Nick DeFermi. So the four of us, we played on Olympic teams together. We played in a lot of U.S. championships together. We we've helped each other in tournaments. So you know, get, getting into the Hall of Fame with uh, you know with people like Fisher and you know, world champ, world champions and U.S. champions from a long time ago, uh, a great honor. And I think today's going to be very much a trip down memory lane. And to, to start on that, it, you're almost the poster boy for the Fisher boom. Talk about why you started playing chess. You know, I, 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 I hate to pull the, uh, like the old geezer routine on people down, but the first thing I tell these little kids is that back then there were only five or six TV stations. And uh, and I was just flipping channels when I ran into the, the, the uh, Shelby Lyman and the Fisher Spassky match on the uh, educational channel, and I, I don't know. I thought it was sort of interesting, and and I started following it all the time. And uh, and I, I thought the names of the openings were kind of funny. I think there was like Nimzo Indian or you know Kings Indian and Sicilian defense and this kind of stuff and. And then I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, fo- I followed the whole match. I, I, I didn't read much about it in the paper. I didn't really know about it. I, you know, I think I should have, but I was a kid. I think I just read the sports section. And, uh, you know, with all the political USSR against USA and Fisher taking on the Soviets all by himself, you know, kind of uh, uh, was a big deal. And that's, that's, how, that's how I, my first introduction to chess, I never played chess before that. Was there... Any chess in your family at all? Uh, did did either of your parents play? Absolutely not. No, I, I was good at sport. Well, when I was going to Ohio's in the Bronx, I was a very stubborn, and I was like in the glee club. But as you could tell with this voice, <laughs> my singing career wasn't really going to get, you know, going too well. And the music teachers said to me, John, you got the worst voice ever. Why don't you try sports? <laughs> And uh, and so I tried sports, and I was I was a good baseball player and good basketball player, and actually a very good bowler. I used to do after school bowling every Friday across from Yankee Stadium, and um, but but after a while, uh, chess started to take over. My parents let me. Tr- my grandfather lived in the Bronx after we moved to Piscataway, New Jersey, and it was. You know, I, I would play in tournaments downtown, the Goichberg tournaments. Goichberg had a tournament like every week or every week and a half, every two weeks or so at the McAlpin Hotel on 34th Street. And uh, it was just like a 20-minute subway ride for my grandfather's. And so I, I played a lot. Um, I, I, I tried to go to a Goichberg tournament maybe twice, a mo- you know, twice a month, sometimes three times a month. And that's and that's when, you know, and that's when the... Um, that the Russians started coming over. I'd, one, uh, I would always make it a practice to see if I was, you know, had a chance to win the tournament, even though I was rated only about twenty one hundred. And you know, and I'd say, uh, is anybody coming in? You know, who's who's uh, playing in the tournament? And the first first time was Goichberg told me uh, Shamkovich was playing, and I was familiar with Leonid Shamkovich from the chess informant of all the games that I played over. And I thought Goitspray was joking, but uh, Shamkovich was one of the first um, immigrants to come over, and he played every week. And I estimate that I played him maybe like 150 times. 
And also, um, I learned a lot from playing him. You know, he worked me over in some endings. I, I, I learned a lot from playing people like Shamkovich and Lev Albert and Jinji and Anatoly Lane. You learn, you know, you lose to them, but uh, but you learn a lot while you're doing it. So did you have any coaching at this time, or was it all self-taught and just going over your own games? All, all, all self-taught. Um, my mother would buy me a chess book every now and then. I, I, I think one of my first chess books, I'm not really sure why, but it worked out well, was Rook Endings by Smizlov and Levenfish. It's a great book. And and I don't know why I just thought it was good to study endings uh, early on, and also another another thing that uh, that helped me was I really liked I liked playing over like um, long technical games, you know, like sixty five move games. As as a result of that, I was kind of like drawn to Anatoly Karpov, who I have to say was my favorite player, uh, and and still is. And for a long time, you know, I mean, people would ask me who my favorite player was. I couldn't say Anatoly Karpov, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Back then, I probably would have been called a commie or something. Who knows, you know? So, but uh, but I really liked his style. And I thought Karpov and Fisher's style were very similar anyway. And and I learned, you know, and that's how I studied. And also, the big deal back then was when, when, when you went to a tournament and you heard the chess informant showed up. Like sometimes there was almost riots with people like people were so starved for just, you know, chess information, uh, chess games, stuff like that. And then somebody told me that there was a Russian bookstore downtown and I could go in there and buy uh, like Russian chess magazines and stuff. So I used to do that. And I, I just I just did a lot of studying and I, and, 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 I, and, I, and I liked it. You know, I mean. My father would come in and see me reading these chess books, and he'd go, "How do you read that stuff?" Hmm. You know, and I'd go, "Well, you kind of get used to it. It's just chess notation." And um, and so and so it was it was uh, it I, I don't know for some reason the um the studying part of it really appealed to me, and I I, I think that uh, that helped me a lot. And I don't know if you saw GM Joel Benjamin and Harold Scott's book on the World Open. Yes, it's a great book, and. Uh, and there's the chapter in there, and 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 they they interviewed me, and I told them I used to go to tournaments with a notebook and and uh, you know and and ask the grandmasters questions. And uh, one of my favorite grandmasters to ask questions to was T. Grant Petrosian, who uh, who always sort of like winked at me and gave me some kind of answer, and I couldn't tell if he was serious or not. And I and so I would write stuff in my notebook, and I learned I learned a lot from the grandmasters, and they. I, I we I, I I me and my friends like John Tisdale and Michael Rode, we were kind of afraid of these Soviet grandmasters because we read about them and they they look kind of mean, but it turned out they're all really nice and, and when I asked them questions, they like you know they're very uh, you know happy happy to answer my questions and always wish me well and 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 I especially um, I don't know but, uh, Petrosian liked me a lot for some reason. Well, I almost beat him in Hastings, so that might have something to do with it. But Petrosian always liked me a lot. Was always uh, was always uh, telling me stuff. Now, you had an incredible amount of success right away. If you've only started in 1972, I'm I'm looking at just these first few years. I'm going to read this short list. 1973, first place in the New York Championship Class A section. First place in the New Jersey Junior Championship. In 74, first place in the U.S. Junior Congress. First place in the U.S. Amateur Championship and the New Jersey State Championship Class A section. 
And in 75, you win the high school championship as well as the Manhattan Open Championship. Mm-hmm. To, to have this kind of success so quick after starting, was this just a natural talent or incredible work ethic, some combination thereof? I don't know, Dan. Is there real? I, I, I don't know. I could, uh, never, I, I could never, never tell if there's such a thing as natural talent. I just, I just think I put in the work. You know, back then you had to put in the work. Nowadays, I tell I tell the kids at my school and any you know and any of my students, I go, look, if it's easy to study now with chess based and and uh, and all all of the chess tools that you could uh, get online, or you could just go online and watch watch a tournament and learn a lot. But back then, it was just uh, me studying by myself, pretty much, and you know, going over my games and you know, you know and, and but uh, and and I had close friends like John Tisdale. We used to help each other a lot, and I think we taught each other a lot. And I and I think I think that was the main contributor. I don't know about natural talent. I guess I have some kind of chess thing, but I think it was really a. Uh, uh, I, I I would say it's the work that did it. Well, I I always as far as natural talent, I, I always remember reading that Botvinnik said that. Let me see how someone how a beginner handles a night and I can predict their future success. Do you see any truth in something like that? I don't know. I don't think, I don't think I handled the night too well to tell you the truth. So, I, you know, they used to say that the Americans like the bishops and, and the, uh, and the USSR and the, uh, and the Soviets like the, like the knights, oh. you know, I mean, I kind of like wide open positions. And, and when I started playing it, when I started playing against the Russians, um, I, I I knew that I, if I got into a maneuvering game against them, I'd have trouble. So I was always like launching some kind of crazy attack because I, there was a real fear of of getting ground down. As a matter of fact, when when I got lucky to uh, to play in Hastings to nineteen seventy seven uh, slash seventy eight, since Hastings goes over two years, um, my the worst game I ever played was against Roman Gingiashvili. People should look that up. <laughs> After that game, I just felt like, my God, I really don't know how to play chess. He beat me in twenty-five moves, total, total positional uh, crush, unbelievable. And you know, and I still think about it sometimes because it helped me understand about weak squares and and bad bishops and you know and and just uh, patience and and positional chess. And and I think from. From that, from a, a tournament like Hastings, and and also my first U.S. championship when I studied for first in 1977 in the U.S. Junior, I qualified for the U.S. Championship in Mentor, Ohio. And I wasn't ready to play it, but and I knew that I was probably the weakest player, but I knew that I was going to go in and try and learn a lot and see what happens. And uh, you know, and and I think that people have to understand that losing is a part of the game, and that's that's how you improve. You know, you play these stronger players and you play them enough, you learn from them. And and I learned a lot from playing in the U.S. Championship and then a few months after that, Hastings. And, you know, we're, and that's the first time I ever saw Gingy. You know, and I was like, I don't know who this guy is. You know, it's like, and then the guy, and then Gingy won the tournament ahead of people like Petrosian and Hort. So, you know, and I became a big fan of his and, uh, and we became good friends and, he was a good guy to uh, his games were good to study too to learn how to how to play positionally. Now, one thing you said that surprised me about this, uh, um, you know, that from playing Gingy, the like you you learn more about things like uh, the 
strengths and weaknesses of, say, the, the, the dark squares, but you must mean this whole different level of understanding at, at a GM level as opposed to ways someone like a Class C player might understand uh, strong and weak squares. I don't know. I th- I, I think if 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 if, if a, of a lower you know a person with a low rating in, in fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred, you know, just just picked a few games and studied them and, and learned about squares and I and and ever since that game, you know, I'm I, I lost because of the of, of a of the C five square and I gave myself a backward pawn. So if you think about this sort of like backward pawn, that's how I teach the kids at my school. I tell them, like, look, you got to hear my lovely voice here. Like, what is this poem called? And they go, backward pawn. And then what do you do with the backward pawn? And they say, well, you're supposed to focus your rooks on the half-open pile. You know, little things like that to, to, you know, a little, you know, and the chess sayings, night on the rim is grim. All this stuff is meant to help us, and it does a pretty good job of it. And I think it could be the same thing with with, with the with studying weak squares. So you mentioned your school. Where Where do you teach? Um, I teach at uh, Spire Legacy School on uh, 9th Avenue and 59th Street in uh, Manhattan, and I've been there about 10 years now. Uh, Sunil Wearmountry brought me in there originally, and uh, and now my boss is uh, Sean O'Hanlon, and and it's a uh, I've, I've been there. It's a very it's a very nice place to work, and and our kids have done very well in tournaments. I don't know because I, it, because of me, I'm not taking. I just give them a little push and help them out, and they go and win all these trophies that we have there. So uh, yeah, Spire Legacy School in New York City is uh, where I'm at, and and it's a nice commute. It's I live on 70, West Seventy Third Street in Manhattan, and uh, and the school's on Fifty Ninth. So it's a nice, very small commute. And do you work with uh, all the chess students from beginner to to advanced, or are you focused just on the advanced students? In the curriculum with the classes, uh, 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 Sean O'Hanlon had me working. I thought it was kind of a weird thing to have me working with the little ones instead of like the older ones, but the little ones seem to like me and they seem to be, uh, they seem to improve pretty fast. We, we, we have a couple of five-year-olds that are like 12, 1200. And my wife, Angela finds it highly amusing when, you know, when the, 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 the parents are always taking pictures of me with these cute little kids and sending them to her. And she's like, Hey, look, Graham Master John, <laughs> look at him now, you know, <laughs> but, but it's 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 worked out great there, and uh, and and you know people, uh, you know I'm I'm almost sixty four years old. People go, aren't you? Why don't you retire? I said, I don't know. I'm having a good time. Why should mm-hmm. if you like doing something? Why should you retire? So, when I read your intro, the introduction, I uh, your plaque says you were a force in American chess, and I certainly remember as I grew up with Chess Life, like your name was in there all the time. And in preparation for this, I, I grabbed just a couple of random issues, and sure enough. You know, there you are. So uh, I'm going to ask you about these these specific events because they're so random, and you know, maybe we'll get lucky and they'll generate some good stories. Uh-huh. The first one I grabbed was the December 1976 issue, and in there there was an article by Bill Goichberg about the FIDE rated, rated Masters Futurity tournaments. Yes, and in this particular one, you finished second in your group to Mark Deason. Yes, Mark. You know, first of all, Mark Deason. I, 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 you know, it, it was a shame he died at a very early age. And he quit chess. He quit chess at an early age too. He was—I don't know—he was different than me and 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 some of the other players. I liked going to Europe, and when Mark went to Europe, he felt homesick, and it affected the way he played. Mark Mark Woodison was the strongest of us of of all the kids around uh, my generation. 
he was, uh, you know, and he had a coach. He he lived he lived in um, in Maryland, and his coach was uh, Lubaj Kavalik, and so he had a little bit of an edge on us there. But he was really a uh, uh, he was really a strong uh, young player. He was he was um a, you know he was he was like maybe 50, 70 points higher rating wise than I think uh, I was back then, and. Um, so yeah, and Goigsberg had to, had these few. He called them futurities, right? Yes, it is that what it said in the article. He would call it futurities. It, it was called Fide Rated Masters Futurity. And I picked the right time to get a really good score, and because of that, I wound up. That's how I got in the Hastings Dam. My Fide rating was twenty four eighty. I was not that good. <laughs> you know, it was based on one tournament to have a Fide rating of twenty four eighty. I thought maybe I was about a twenty three fifty player, which isn't bad. But but not twenty four eighty. But at least you know at, at least when somebody didn't show up in Hastings at the time, you know, be, back then it was always visa problems. Somebody that couldn't make it from somewhere, and they would always look for the highest rated pigeon, and uh, and that was easily me. So all of a sudden, I was in the Tom Cruise Hastings. My hotel was paid for. They gave me a lot of spending money, and I was happy. Well, again, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this incredibly rapid improvement in only four years to be in the 2300s already. Yeah, it was maybe the 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 the, the, the most. I, I to me, the, my my first cr- crucial moment in the chess career was around February of 1976. So, if my rating was over 2250. USCF, my parents were going to let me go to to the National Open and to Lone Pine afterwards. So so that was a big deal. And you remember back then, Dan, the rating, the rating supplement used to come out once a month. Mm-hmm. It was like a little book with the ratings in it. And uh, and Glenn Peterson, you know, and um, who helped me a lot in chess, and and uh, he died recently, and uh, was a good guy and helped me a lot. He he. Uh, you know, I went over there and, you know, and, and I said, hey, uh, what's my rating? <laughs> and he fooled around a little bit and I like, shook his head, you know, and then he and then he showed me and it was twenty two fifty six. So mm-hmm. walked to Las Vegas and then Lone Pine for my first time, 1976, Lone Pine. And and I did well in the National Open and Lone Pine. Uh, also, I don't know but for people who aren't familiar, that was a tournament in a small town in California. Town was sort of in between. San Francisco and Los Angeles and Las Vegas, kind of like in a triangle in the middle. And uh, and I, I it, it was an interesting place to go being from New York City, a small town. And the tournament was always like, like my mother told me when I was playing, and I and I told this to the little kids, and they don't want to hear it either. It, it was good experience, you know, playing these guys and getting roughed up was good experience. Mm-hmm. Now, the other chess life I grabbed was a little bit less random. I, I, I grabbed the May 1992 issue because we're talking 30 years ago. And in that one, there is an article about the one-hour team tournament in Cannes in the French Riviera. And yeah, there's yeah a, that was a great – Yeah. There was maybe a little bit too much champagne involved, though, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were in the French Riviera, so you know, it must have been um, – just a just a great environment to play chess. Although I wonder if it's hard to focus when you have such exciting things outside the tournament hall. Well, one one thing about I love playing in Europe, and I still do. I I just it it, it was um yeah Cam Cam was really all that it was you know cracked up to be just an unbelievable um 
unbelievable place uh, on the Mediterranean. You know, it's not always warm there, but we were there in February and it was probably like 65 or something like that. I guess people went swimming if they wanted to. But I, I just like, you know, like to walk around the beach and it's a cute little town, you know, famous for the film festival, mm-hmm. which is a very highfalutin deal. And um, but yeah, we, we had a, we had a good time there. And it was more of like it, 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 it was semi-serious. It was not. And, and it was a, it, it was it was a fun thing to play. And I think it was the United States, England, uh, USSR, and I think maybe uh, Nordic countries combined or something, if I'm not mistaken. And uh and I and I th- I think we came in second and and uh, but it, but that tournament was was a nice team tournament and uh, and it was always good to get invited and, and to, to those sort of things. Um, the, the organized it was Bessel Cock. He always took good care of us. You'll be happy to know that the game that of yours that's annotated by Edmar Mendes in the Chess Life article is a victory over uh, Grandmaster Julian Hodgson in a Trumpowski. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a good game. Well, that was I. Th- I think it was in a uh, a Trompovsky. Yep, it was. Um, um, <laughs> and people also, people also, you know, and and, and another thing that helped me in chess down was I had a good memory. And I, I don't know. I guess that's maybe just luck or something. I don't know. You know, uh, memory seems like something you might be born with. And I I just remember, uh, you know, I I remember a lot of stuff, and you know, and and. When I'm playing in tournaments, I, I would always walk around and look to see the other games to see if I could learn something. Maybe if I play one of them, I might see an opening that I want to play, something like that. And so, yeah, so so that that kind of tournament was was great. And 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 also we became friends. I was friends with all those guys on the English team. Very good friends with Julian Hodgson, a very very nice guy. And we're you know we're around the same age, and we always hung out together. Now, do you feel like your memory is? Just as sharp as it as it always was. You're you're seven years older than me, and I find that I've got, uh, especially with shorter term memory, I have difficulties that I didn't used to have. I don't know, Dan. I, I, I mean, the chess stuff stays in there. Sometimes I can't remember some running back's name in the NFL, but the chess stuff seems okay though. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I I I I think um, I think my memory, you know, from for most of the things uh, at almost sixty four years old, still still seems okay. Mm-hmm. Now, what, did you know? Did you know about the um, the baseball manager Mike Matheny? No. Um, I think I, I think um, Fun Master Mike Klein, uh, um, who I'm good friends with, was telling me that Mike when Mike Matheny was uh, he's the manager of the Kansas City Royals now, and when he was a player, he was a catcher, and he suffered like twelve concussion around twelve concussions. And back then, you know, getting hit in the head, you know, was not a big deal. They told you to put some dirt on it and you'd play, right? But nowadays, concussions, people are, you know, very uh, concerned and they see how serious it is. So Mike Matheny, you know, is, of course, you know, naturally concerned about, you know, um, the concussions as he gets older. And what he does is, I heard he plays a lot of chess on chess.com and he says it, you know, he thinks it helps him. Yeah, there's certainly plenty of anecdotal evidence about that at this point. Yeah, to keep you know to 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 keep your uh, you know your mind uh, active and 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 thinking about stuff and keeping it moving. So so it, that's that's what he does to uh, um, to keep to keep his brain going. And 
and hopefully to to help him with this you know concussion kind of thing that he has. Now you you mentioned earlier how your father you know, asked how you could read that stuff. You know, referring to you know, you're sitting down there with an informant in front of you. What? Yeah, yeah. The informant was always something that he that he that that, that he would shake his head at. And the other thing was those. Do you remember the um the the encyclopedia chess openings also from the chess informant company? Right. That, those ones really had him confounded because there was like little print, no words, a bunch of, you know, you, you would get used to the symbols, slight advantage, this and the other, you know what I right. mean? <laughs> and, 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 and then after a while, I, I remember we'd go to Torvitz and, and me and Joel Benjamin and Michael Walner were talking informant code. You know, you'd make a move and if it's the only move, we'd go, we'd say box. And then people like, what does that mean? It, was, it means like only move an informant symbol. Right, right. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and uh, uh, so, yeah, so, so there was a lot of uh, studying, studying of those books, studying of, of the openings. It seems now that I studied my, my openings have gotten really good uh, um, lately. I, I don't know. I think it's from teaching the little kids, but I think it's also from just watching chess on the Internet a lot. When, you know, these big tournaments that they have in St. Louis, I'm a big fan of Nakamura and Fabiano, of course. And, you know, and I just, I just, you know, and, and I follow all the tournaments with the new guys, like this Ferrugia and Magnus Carlsen's style really bewilders me, but the guy's just good. And he, he, he's like, I don't know how he, I couldn't play like that. You know I mean? I have trouble playing these like really boring positions, but he's just so good at it. But, you know, it's a real, it's a real kind of style that he has. And, and you know, and then, and then people I don't know. People asking me like who the best world champion is. That question always bothered me down because I don't think there's any way to answer that fairly, you know? Well, you had the kind of successes where you may have entertained world championship aspirations. Uh, did you? I don't know. I feel like maybe I started, I, I, I feel like starting chess at 15 might've been too late in that regard. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe a kid really has to start chess at seven or eight. If he wants a chance to be world champion. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just, and also I, I think that probably at some point, um, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe I had to move to Europe and just stay there for a few years. And I, I might, I don't know about world champion, but I think I could have gotten, you know, maybe had a chance to get into like the top 20 or some kind of ranking like that. Maybe the top 15, who knows? But I think, I, I think we're, we're kind of like at a geographical, um, kind of, um, uh, uh, situation here, kind of a problem because most of the chess is in Europe. That's why I think Nakamura is always, he, he seems to, you know, those guys spend a lot of time in Europe playing those tournaments and, and, you know, and they live, they have houses there and, you know, and, and, and that's where I think the main focus of chess is. We still have a lot of the tournaments here. And also I, I, Dan, I haven't even been, I haven't been to the St. Louis chess club yet. Oh, that's shocking to hear. I haven't, I haven't been there. I heard it's a great place, and I hope to go there at some point. Maybe playing a tournament. I don't know. I, I for some reason they they never invited me to something, so maybe they don't know if if I, if I exist. But that's okay. And your Hall of Fame induction in two thousand nine was just before they all moved everything to St. Louis. Right. Yeah, I remember it was Al Lawrence had it in Florida or something, and then it moved, and then. Uh, Mr. Sinkfeld was nice enough to, to help us out with uh, with a lot of stuff, you know, financially with the chess club. I hear there's some kind of diner near the chess club. Oh yeah, no, you 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 have to yeah you have to visit the entire facility. It's incredible. Yeah, 
Taking out the technology changes, what do you see as the main differences between chess culture in the U.S. now and 50 years ago? I, 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 think, I, I, think, we're in, I think we're in pretty good shape. I, I think what the scholastic chess is, uh, is going to make us the strong chess country for a long time. I, 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 down the tour, we were just at, well, there, there were like, you know, 500 kids there or something like that. And you can tell. How oh, much more than that. So it was the national, it was the national middle school championship. You go walk around the hotel and you see kids all over the place playing, you know, regular blitz or of course, bug house, you know, the kids love bug house, but still the kids love chess. And I think that, that, that is really, uh, um, going to keep like, uh, uh, strong players, in the United States for a uh, for a long time now. Like we we have in my school, we have a young player, Brewington Hardaway, who's around uh, who's around like eleven years old, twelve years old, and he's about a twenty three fifty player. And you know, and and, and he could he could uh, really uh, I could see him be, being a uh, an IM or a GM, and you know, maybe three or four years or something like that. If you know, and he'll get the opportunities because. You know, he'll get to play, he'll get invited to some GM tournaments or IM tournaments in St. Louis. So he'll get the opportunities. But I think as, as chess goes in this country, I think we're in really good shape. I think it's very popular. And this scholastic thing is unbelievable. Dan, I'm probably going to see you in Columbus in about, uh, what, uh, like eight days or something. Yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll both be at the National Elementary. And the tournament you mentioned earlier was the National Middle School. And it wasn't 500 kids. We had 931 kids playing there. There were 900. I didn't realize it was that much. Wow, that's that's a lot. And, this, and I think there's going to be even more in uh, in um, uh, in Columbus with the little ones uh, playing. The, the, the little, you know, it's amazing. And, and some of the kids from our school, the five-year-olds, one little girl, Abigail, She's always she's always the first one on that has her picture taken to go on like the USCF website because she's so cute <laughs> and it's a you know and you got the picture of her like just concentrating and it's, and it's just it's just great to see the kids playing and it's a, it's a lot of fun to go to those uh, events and help the kids and and also see see their progress as a location for a chess tournament which do you prefer Columbus or Con? <laughs> <laughs> you know I went to Columbus. I was working with chess in the schools years ago. I don't remember how many years ago it was, and we went to Columbus, and I like Columbus. Yeah, no, it, it's it's you know it's, it's mean? a solid city. Yeah, yeah I mean it's a nice college town, and and you know how it is, Dan. It was kind of like the tournament you just spoke about in Dallas. Once once you're at the tournament starts, you don't have any time to do anything anyway, you know. So, and and as long as the hotel is a nice place and our team room is 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 uh, is cool, then we're in good shape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so shifting focus a bit, you were a second to God Akomsky. Yeah. yeah. How, how did that all come about? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it might be a ridiculous one to say, but I think I might've been the only one that got along with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say you have very different personalities. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I it, it was like Gingy said what one, there was one match. Where, where uh, Gata had two coaches, and that was when um, um, Gata was playing Nigel Short and Lenoris in uh, 1994. And in that match, uh, Rustam and Gata brought both me and Roman Gingy, you know, Hajvili, uh, to help him. And we did a good jo- uh, we did a good job, and he beat Short pretty easily. I think he beat him five and a half, one and a half, and. My best coaching job was with Gata was by myself 
I would go to his, I would take the subway to his house in Brooklyn and we study. And that was his match with Kramnik that was at the Trump Tower. And I was the only one helping him then. He beat Kramnik four and a half, one and a half. That's important. That, you know, to think about Kramnik beating him four and a half, one and a half, that's really, really something. You know, I was really like proud of him for that one. I mean, that one was really unbelievable. And then, and then the Karpov match, I was with him in the, in the Kalmykian Republic, Alista, the capital of the Kalmykian Republic for his match with Karpov. And that was just a weird setup there, uh, Dan. I mean, I think that, I think that he was just, it, 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 that match against Karpov was almost in Montreal. I think if God had played Karpov in Montreal, he had, I would have had a really good chance to win. And I think having it in, in, in this kind of a boring place and, you know, and, and sort of like giving Karpov home court advantage really made, made it hard on Gata there. And, and he lost that match pretty badly. That was it. That was in uh, 1996. And so I, I went to a few matches with Gata and we uh, and, and you know, I, I like it. It's like Gingy said to me once, this is chess on a, you know, we're working on chess at, the, at its highest level. And that's, you know, even though we weren't playing, it was uh, very interesting uh, uh, to, to like work on the opponents and try to figure out what was going on and, you know, just, just, uh, being a real uh, coach. So what were your specific duties as a second? Oh, we, we just did openings. We just, we just, we just played, we just like studied all their games, trying to figure out what, you know, what, what was going on, what, what the best things to play were. And then when we were done, then when we were done with our opponents games, then, then we started looking who is helping the opponent. Maybe, you know, in the short match, shorts, shorts coach was uh, Robert Hoopner. So then we started studying Hoopner's games in case, you know, uh, Nigel poured some of uh, Robert's openings. So just a lot of playing over games and, and, you know, you know, and as you know, you know, back then that's computers were starting, but I was always big on notebooks. I was always writing stuff in notebooks. And, and we, we, so we, we worked, we worked very hard on the players and worked very hard on the openings. I think that's what what I think that's what it comes to when these when these guys playing these matches. Like if you're playing Madness Carlson, you know, especially the blacks, you got to make sure you stay in one piece. And in the last um, uh, World Championship match, uh, Ian uh, did not stay in one piece long enough in the openings, and and that's why he got you know he lost pretty badly. I think he lost by four points and didn't win a game. But I don't know if it had some something to do with nerves. But Gata had very good nerves to play in any kind of, of, of these matches. And I had a lot of fun. Uh, some people thought I was crazy, Dan, but I had a lot of fun with them. And, and, uh, and I thought it was a real adventure. Did you get along with the dad as well? Yeah. Yeah. I got along with Rustam. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Rustam, you know, I mean, he yelled at me sometimes <laughs> and I just asked him, like, well, calm down. Why are you yelling at me? <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, you know, he, he was a little bit intense, but uh, it, it's just it's just the way it was. And 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 I remember one time Alexander Ivanov worked for them and, and I think he had a miserable time. And he asked me, he goes, he says to me, John, you, you liked working with the Kanskis? <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, I kind of liked it. And he just shook his head at me and said, you're crazy and walked away. You know, and I said, yeah, well, you know, but it was. It was an adventure, and they always paid me pretty well. I couldn't complain about that, you know. Do you still have all these notebooks from your career? No, unfortunately not. I, I don't know. They, it, it's possible that some of them are still at my sister's house in Florida, you know, somewhere. My mother, like, 
my mother kept nice scrapbooks of of uh, of me uh, um, as you know as I was winning these tournaments, you know, chess life, and I used to send her pictures of me in a newspaper. Like one time when I won the Vikings A B section, I sent her a kind of an amusing picture, like. It, it, I, w- I made the front page of this newspaper in uh, in, in uh, Amsterdam because I was sitting on the floor reading their newspaper, and they took a picture of me reading their newspaper, and and I had well, Dan, I had six beers near me, but they were really small beers. <laughs> My mother goes, "What do you got? Six beers or something?" I said, "You counted them," and she's like, "Yeah," and I said, "Well." But they were like this big. I said, if you put them together, they came to one normal size beer. So, you know, and, and I said, and the place was, and, and there were usually huge lines, so it saved time just to get more than one beer there. But, but that was that that was like um that that was one of my better results too. That was the uh, uh, a tournament. The three pole guards were in the tournament, mm-hmm. and the and and when I won the tournament, uh, the the, the it's my favorite trophy. It's in my draw over here. It's my favorite trophy. It's like a silver pin of a queen. And of course, I had to hassle the organizer. I said, hey, isn't the trophy usually like a king? And then he just smiled at me and said, well, John, you know why. <laughs> I said, yeah, you thought one of the pole guards was going <laughs> to win the tournament. And I crashed the party, I guess. And and that was a tournament. I always did. I like playing. Playing in Holland was one of my uh, favorite places to play. I played. I played there a lot. And uh, about your notebooks being with your your sister, so you continue to work in New York City, but you let your notebooks retire to Florida. Yeah, yeah, they're just you know they're just hanging out there. I mean, I, next time I go see my sister, I'll ask her about it. And uh, you know, and, and and it was always fun to look at, at the uh, at the scrapbooks that my mother made for my cutting out articles where I won tournaments like Glenn Peterson, you know, Atlantic Chess News and stuff like that. Whenever I did well in a tournament in New Jersey. Glenn, uh, Glenn wrote about it and, and, you know, and then my mother would cut out some important, you know, important articles and paste them into a book. And that was, that was a very nice to her to do. And there's some, some of those scrapbooks are somewhere, but you know how it is, Dan, they get buried in the back of the closet somewhere and you only, you only see them if you move. So it sounds like you had a proud mom, but what about when you started out and you first said, look, I'm going to become a professional chess player was your family supportive well my, you know my my mother, my mother was very cool she would ask me stuff like when i was growing up she like asked me like she'd go like you know so how do you feel about things and i go well i remember saying to her once like you know i hope to get a girlfriend at some point maybe like get a nice apartment and you know <laughs> i hope to drink a beer one of these days you know i still you know i guess i i i achieved that goal okay and, and she was a great mom and you know, and then when I started to play chess, she's like, hey, you, you, you know, are you, you going to do this? And I said, well, I'm going to, you know, I said, I could do it for a while. And if not, then I'll, there'll be plenty of time to, uh, you know, to, to go to something else if it, you know, if it didn't turn out well. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, I figure like I would, I, w- I would do it till maybe I was like 22 or something like that and see how it went. And then it would have been time to go to school. I mean, all my friends went to Rutgers. I almost went to Rutgers. Um, I almost joined the Marines down I, I, I almost joined the Marines in uh, in um, uh, um, August of 1978, and uh, GM uh, GM Tar Jim Tarjan talked me out of it, and mm-hmm. said maybe that was a bit, little bit of a too hasty decision, and you know, and told me to relax and think about it, and then 
And then, of course, I I I, I never I, I just get kept getting better at chess, so I kept sticking with it, and and, it, and it's been a great life. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I wish I won one. I wish I won one U.S. championship. Down. That's maybe the only thing that bothers me a little bit. But you know that's okay. What was your best result of the U.S. championship? I came in second a number of times. I, I didn't really. I think I played twenty-one U.S. championship. I might have came in second, like you know, second a few times, third maybe you know a few times. I always had pretty good. I, I, I always had a pretty uh, uh, good results. U.S. Championship was always a nice tournament to play in back then because, you know, you get to hang around with your friends. And it was weird. It was a different world back then because it seemed like the tournaments were longer and we didn't mind it. Now everything seems to be speeded up. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't seem like we could go to a U.S. Championship now. Like in Berkeley in 1984, 18 players. With days off, we were the, we were in Berkeley for about twenty five days for that U.S. Championship, you know, and it just doesn't seem like we would do that nowadays. And and I was like, the, uh, it, it was it was always you know it was the premier event every year for us, and so it was it was just nice to play in. And then you know, and then when it came to be, you know, I mean, look back then, my rent. Let's say, let's pick a year, nineteen eighty. My rent was like three hundred dollars a month, you know, so. If I won one tournament, that would like that would like keep me in pretty good shape for a long mm -hmm. time. Um, we already talked about uh, you know how proud you are of being in the Hall of Fame. What what are some of your proudest chess moments? I I I, I like getting the G I, I like getting the GM title in uh, in Dubai along with my friends Joel Benjamin and Max Kalugi. That was um, November nineteen eighty six, and that was kind of an important thing to get the Grandmaster title there because you know back then. Uh, norms expired, and some of my norms were going to expire, you know. And, and then, and, you know, and then you'd have to start all over. So it just, it just finished in, in time. And I remember that. I, I remember I, I, I knew something was up because Donaldson told me I had the day off, and I was wondering why we were drinking red wine for breakfast with Arnold Hunter <laughs> and Don Schultz. Uh huh. We had like a GM. Uh, we had like a, G, you know, well, welcome to being a GM party uh, in in our um uh, on our floor. We were on a very nice floor in this hotel in Dubai, and and Don and uh, and 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 Arnold, you know, were, were good guys and always a lot of fun, and 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 they threw this party for me, uh, uh, to getting the GM title that that day, and we, you know, and we had a good time on that Olympic team. We probably we had a very good chance to win that Olympics. And, uh, and and in the end, the uh, the, the U.S. the USSR passed us by, and um, but but yeah, that that was that was a proud moment making the GM title there. And then anytime I played on a team was a lot of fun. I played on you know in a, a lot of teams. I, I was the men's team captain. I became the men's team captain in 1984 by accident. Um, they sent me along like as sort of like you know to as an analyst to help prepare and stuff. But Robert Byrne was the men's team captain, and they called the, the New York Times called him back, and he had to go back home, and they wouldn't let it. They said it was a conflict of interest. He was writing about. Do you remember the never-ending um, Karpov Kasparov match was going on at that time? Right. And uh, so they called Byrne back. That was uh, around uh, and, uh, and 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 it was you know and it wasn't a bad place to go. You know, it was it was it was a nice uh, you know it was a nice town. And uh, and President Ilyushumanov always took good care of us when we went when we went to his country. 
Mm-hmm. And so, so I was always proud of being on the team. And then, you know, and then, uh, you know, and just proud. I, I don't know. I was just happy to play. Lubanj Caval told me once that as a chess player, you, you didn't have to take first in every tournament. Sometimes taking second or third was, uh, was pretty good to do, you know, but Americans were always, we're always uh, having, you know, it's the way our sports are set up that if you come in second place, it's, it's a bad thing. First loser. No, but that's just because of the way, you know, the, the way the baseball series is set right, up. It's just, right. it's just tournaments, a different thing. Right. So I, I, I was just proud of, 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 of uh, you know, those achievements of the, uh, of the and, and I was proud of making the IM title after playing chess for about five years. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm having trouble wrapping my, my head around it, but I accept it for what it is. You just, it, it... I just don't know, Dan, if like, if I had a coach, if, if I could have gotten better, I don't know. I never really thought about it. You know I mean? It's not, I don't know. It's not worth it to, to think backwards too much, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you know, but, but I mean, I suppose having a coach has to, has to be a big help, but we, but uh, we just didn't, we, we, we were our own coaches back then. And then, you know, and then when we went to tournaments and we made friendships, our friends where we were kind of each other, you know, to have friends like Joel Benjamin and Larry Christians and Nick DePermian or something like that, you know, we didn't have coaches, but we helped each other, and that and that was always a, uh, a, a an important thing and very helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, you've kind of already started your answer to what I'm my final question for you, and and that's what has chess meant to you in your life? Well, I, I don't know. I I, I I I the way the life turned out, and and I I think it's it's I think it's meant everything. I I, I think I you know I love chess and I love playing it. I love studying it. I love teaching it. It, you know, I do you remember the story where I tried to become a French chef, Dan? No, I do not. Yeah, I tried to become a French French chef around 1996, and you know, just to be able to do something else, maybe. And I like cooking, and and but I I, I, I had trouble at the school. It was too, it was it was too high level for me, and my my knife skills were not that good. And you know, and 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 I just couldn't imagine myself like doing you know making an ice. Can you see me making an ice sculpture, Dan? I mean, let's be serious. You know, so, but I made some good soups and stuff like that, you know, and, and I was cooking stuff. Okay. But it was, but it was a very intense course. And, and so I, I, I was, I was going to be a, a chef, but then it didn't work out. And then, and then I was interviewed for, uh, for new and chess about that, that, you know, the great magazine, you know, the great Dutch magazine, new and chess. And, um, which I, which I subscribe to. And I think it's a, it's a, I, I highly recommend it for people to love chess. And, and so, in the magazine, they asked me about this, and I said, well, you know, I, I, I had to withdraw, and I walked home. It was snowing, and I was, like, in tears, and people were staring at me, you know, because I failed, you know. You, you know, you don't want to fail anything, and I failed that. But, but so, I and I said something like, well, I'm a chest poor again, and and that's not so bad, is it? And then the interviewer said, that's very, thank you, John. That was very poignant. <laughs> I couldn't tell. He's got the way he said it. I think he was being sarcastic, but I wasn't sure, you know, but, but the chess part of it has been great. The, you know, the entire time. And, uh, and, I'm, and, and like I said, Dan, I, I really don't see why I should retire. I'm still playing pretty well. I last summer I played in the U S open, the, uh, the world open and in New Jersey open and then I play in Parsippany every year in the amateur team because some of my students like playing that. And it's always a lot of fun to see everybody. 
And uh, and you know, Dan, it's weird. It's less pressure. So I somehow I'm still a pretty decent player. And you know, I I, I just like I said a few times, I, I just don't see. I, I I mean, I'm not a baseball player. My arm's not tired. I got play chess, no problem. You know, no energy problem. I feel good, and I'm just I'm just going to keep playing and uh, teaching and. You know, having a lot of fun with it. Well, that's that's great. So, thank you so much for for joining us. That that's a great uh, statement to close on. Look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks in Columbus, and then we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I'll see you next week, Dan. I'll, I'll, I'll probably I'll probably see you next Thursday. You know, in, uh, in Ohio, and then we'll also see each other at the Castle Chess Camp in Atlanta in June. That's right. Yep, and then we'll see each other at the U.S. Open. And, and Dan, we ran into it. You know, it's funny we, when, when you go to these kids' storms. There's so many people you don't run into uh, people, but I ran into you five times the last week. Yeah, maybe yeah, as you said, one one of us is stalking the other person. Remember that I said, "Hey, Dan, I'm following <laughs> yeah. you." You know. Well, John, thank you for joining us on One Move at a Time. Thank you, Dan, and and, uh, and you know, to everybody, uh, keep playing, keep working. Chess is a lot of fun, and you get what you want out of it. And, you know, and and I, and I wish everybody the best. See you next week, Dan. Thanks. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us on this edition of One Move at a Time, which always drops on the second Tuesday of each month. Our theme music was composed by National Master Alex King of Memphis, Tennessee. Our podcasts are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Our sister podcasts at U.S. Chess are Cover Stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, Ladies' Night, hosted by Women's Program Director Jennifer Shahadi on the third Tuesday of each month, and on the fourth Tuesday, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant National Events Director Pete Karianis. I hope that you have learned something of value that you can now use to help build chess in your own community. We'll be back next month with another Chess World personality who is helping us advance our mission statement to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess.